You are tuned to the Nahum Siegel Network on jmandtheam.org and nahumsegel.com. Stay tuned for JM Sunday with Matis Weingast.
Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another great edition of uh, JM Sunday right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Matis Weingast, and I'm here every Sunday with you exclusively on the uh, network. We are uh, so happy to be here with you and uh, appreciate your joining us. This is the Sunday before uh, before Purim, so uh, we are uh, going to be playing a lot of uh, Purim music. Fast music, lively music, uh, some comedy segments, all for your listening pleasure this morning. It's the 1st of March also, and uh, the 10th of Adar. Purim starts Wednesday night. Tanis Esther is on a Wednesday. Uh, Purim is on Thursday. Shushan Purim on Friday. And uh, that is the uh, that is the week. We read the Megillah. We have the Suda, Shalach Manos, Matanus, Levyonim. All the great mitzvahs of the holiday of Purim. In Kasuvis, uh, Daf uh, 27 and Daf Yomi cycle. It is cold outside. We're starting March off with, uh, with a cold in here this, uh, in this uh, North New Jersey area. 25 degrees outside right now. Cloudy. Going up to a high of 34 degrees with afternoon snow accumulating a couple of inches depending on where you are. And then going down to uh, 32 degrees with rain and snow. Overnight, so it might make tomorrow morning's commute a little bit, uh, a little bit more dangerous, a little bit more hectic than uh, it, it would normally be. In Jerusalem, it's 58 sunny degrees, going down to a low of 43 clear degrees. And uh, what is, else is going to happen today? We have Rabbi Goldwasser at 7:30 with morning chizuk, news from Israel, live with uh, Hannah Julian at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, I'm going to be joined by um, Dr. Robert Kuhl. He is uh, from the COIN Department of the Israel Antiquities Authority. We'll be talking about that large hoard of gold coins that were found uh, not too long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, by accident uh, in uh, Kassaria National Park in Israel. It was found by divers. It is a hoard of about 2,000 gold coins, and they're about 1,000 years old. We'll talk about the coins, what they are, what they represent, and um, and what the history is about that. So that'll be about 8.30 this morning. Until then, we'll keep up with the music. Uh, Ari Bauman, Avrami Flam, uh, as I said, comedy segments and whatnot. So let's get right to it. Thanks for joining us here on the stream exclusively on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is JM Sunday.
kidnapping. What's this? <laughs> Through the window, a rock with a note on it. Here, let me see what it says. It says, Dear Mr. Shapiro, unless you deposit $10,000 in small bills in a paper bag under the old hollow tree in a vacant lot on the corner at midnight tomorrow, we will kidnap your wife. Sincerely yours, your kidnappers. <laughs> Boy, some tough cookies. <laughs> I better write them an old back immediately. Let me see. Pencil, paper. Dear kidnappers, your rack of this date received... <laughs> I am writing to tell you I do not have $10,000. But please keep in touch. <laughs> Your proposition interests me. Final discussion. Mama, I haven't got much time left. And before I go, I want to tell you that after I'm gone, you should give the store to our son, Jack. But, Papa, you know Jack. He always wanted to make changes. He'll run it down. Better you should give it to Joey. Okay, Mama. But the house in the country... Should go to our daughter, Ethel Papa, what does Ethel need that big house? They have no children, she'll never use it Better you should give it to Doris Okay, Mama <laughs> But the new car I would like for our Freddy to have Freddy? But, Papa, you know how crazy Freddy is with his reckless driving. And with the girls. Better you should give the car to Jack. <sighs> Mama, who's dying, you or me? <laughs> Now we say, 
Avrami Flam with Al Hanisim right here on JM Sunday. Matas Weingast with you as we get set uh, for morning chizah coming up in just a few seconds. Here on the 10th of Adar, a few days before Purim. It's the 1st of March, 2015. And uh, we thank you for joining us this morning. At uh, 8 o'clock, we'll have the news from Israel in English, live with Hannah Julian. And uh, at 8.30, we're going to be joined by Dr. Robert Kuhl, who is the uh, who is an expert in the coins for the Israel Antiquities Authority? We'll be discussing the large uh, the large uh, cache of coins, almost two thousand coins that were discovered recently, uh, and uh, we'll talk about the uh, the history of those and what they're all about. And uh, it's a very exciting find in the um, in the area of Israel antiquities. So we'll we'll find out all about that. Uh, also, uh, a little bit later on, we'll be playing a clip of an interview that Leonard and Nimoy did with, um, I think it was for the Wexler Institute. I'm not sure to check on that. Uh, and uh, uh, he talks about, you know, as everybody knows, where that symbol came from, the live long and prosper symbol that he uses, uh, that the Kohanim use. And uh, he explains in a few minutes uh, how that came about, how he saw it. A lot of people are aware of uh, of it, uh, but uh, we're going to play that clip. It was just a couple of years ago that he recorded this, I think back in 2013, and of course he passed away last week at the age of 83. Uh, and uh, for all those, of course, who enjoy uh, Star Trek, he, he of course was uh, Mr. Spock, and uh, but he was in a lot of other things also, not just Star Trek, but of course he's most widely known as Mr. Spock in Star Trek. Well, it's time for Morning Chizik. We're going to get to that now, and then we'll get back to more music uh, right here on JM Sunday. At this time, uh, each and every Sunday through Thursday, we hear Rabbi David Goldwasser, Rabbi Goldwasser's words, Lezecha, Nishmas, Rav Zev, Rav Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizik. Good morning. We read in Megillah Sester that every day, Mordechai went to the courtyard of the king to know the welfare of Esther. The Medrash tells us that Hashem said to Mordechai, You seek out the welfare of one soul of my people, the end will be that you will seek out the welfare of our entire nation. An intriguing question can be asked. What did Mordechai do? He did something in reality that wasn't earth-shattering, something that anyone would probably be willing to do for a friend or for a family member. Yet, Hashem tells him that in this merit, he will end up being an integral part in the salvation of the entire nation. The Leket Rishimus, Haravach Vogel Zechet Tzadik Levrocha explains, we think that in order to help in the redemption of Klal Yisrael, we have to reach great heights, we have to perform heroic feats, which will amaze everyone, and then we'll merit to be involved with redeeming the nation. From this we learn, it's not so. One Misa, one deed that a person does, wholeheartedly and completely, gives one the power to merit great things. Oftentimes in life, we don't realize how our daily actions have an impact. A visit to someone who's not well. A coin to tzedakah. 
a cheerful good morning to someone going through a hard time. Learning one pasuk from Tanakh. These are all acts that could be deemed minor. However, their impact is major. As we are all familiar with the custom of making noise when the name of Haman is read during the Megillah, it's a time-honored tradition that helps us to remember our hope and desire that the wicked are blotted out. In Istanbul, a couple of hundred years ago, there was an officer who knew about this custom, and he decreed that making noise when the name of Haman was mentioned was strictly prohibited. Anyone caught making any noise whatsoever would be severely punished. The people gathered in the synagogue. They were especially sad when it came time to read the Megillah. Although using the Gragar during the reading of the Megillah is a relatively minor custom, we Jews have always cherished each and every custom. Whenever there has been a decree against observance at any time during history, Klal Yisrael is deeply affected over the lack of total religious freedom. Guards were stationed outside the shul. They were to ensure that the decree was not violated. As the reading of the Megillah was about to begin, all of a sudden, the doors opened. In walked an elderly man with a long white beard and a very holy countenance. He locked the doors of the shul behind him and sat down. As soon as the first tumult was sounded, he began to make a tremendous amount of noise. He stamped his feet. He was shouting and banging on the bench. The people pleaded and begged him, please don't do this. They explained that not only was he jeopardizing his own life, he was endangering everyone else's life as well. The elderly man merely smiled and continued to bang for every homon. The guards tried to enter, but the doors were locked. At the end of the night, word had reached the ruler of the entire eastern Istanbul. Instead of being upset with the Jewish people, he was greatly angered at the officer who had issued the decree. He felt that an officer would issue such an order on his own without consulting his superiors was probably someone who wanted to rebel and overthrow the government. As punishment, it was immediately decreed that that officer should be hung from the gallows erected in the public square right outside the synagogue doors. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you Morning Chizik. Have a nice day.
Throwing it all away, Purim Torah, right here on JM Sunday. I want to give a shout out to uh, listener uh, Sammy, Sammy Azar, who listens every Sunday morning. Thank you for listening to us here on JM Sunday. Also, uh, thank you to listener uh, Mrs. Esther for listening to us on Sunday mornings on JM Sunday. We appreciate it. We are here on the Nachum Siegel Network for your listening pleasure. We're here from 7 to 9 every Sunday morning, Eastern Time. And I think we change the clocks next week. Is that right? On the Saturday night, early Sunday morning? I think we, uh, yeah, I think we do. I have to double check that. Well, we'll, we'll be here at 7 o'clock, local time, <laughs> next week, here uh, on JM Sunday. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's where you can hear us on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, you can get the app. It's a great way to listen to all the programming. Uh, tomorrow morning, Nachum will be in for uh, JM and the AM at 6 a.m. That'll be followed by the Israel Show, hosted by Mayor Weingarten. That's on the stream on Monday mornings, and uh, that happens every Monday, immediately following JM and the AM, but on the stream only on NachumSiegel.com. I hear a rumor that Mayor Weingarten will be sitting in for Nachum on Purim. He'll be doing his... Annual Purim show. Something to look forward to. And uh, let's see, uh, what else, what else? Uh, Elliot Weiselberg has court report on Sunday evenings. Tonight he's going to have a, uh, uh, let's see, he's going to have a, a, a an encore presentation of a preseason interview he did with Mo Fuchs. And that's uh, as a setup for next Sunday's uh, Hockey Championships. Now, on Tuesday night, um, Tuesday night will be the night for new shows, at least in March, because that'll accommodate the hockey semifinals on Monday. So, uh, and also the championships on Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon, early evening, and the Sarachek, which ends on Monday. So, uh, 
so that'll be for for this time, so we'll be able to get all the latest information from Elliot on Court Report. And that's at 7 o'clock tonight, 7 p.m. on the stream, Sunday and Tuesdays, only on the Nachum Siegel Network. That's exclusive. We'll have news from Israel coming up at 8 o'clock. And then at the 30, Dr. Robert Kuhl from the Israel Antiquities Authority will join us to talk about the uh, discovery of a uh, cache of gold coins dating back a 1,000 years that was found just a couple of weeks ago. We'll talk about that and maybe a couple of other antiquities uh, items and whatnot. So that should be interesting on this pre-Purim show coming up uh, Wednesday night. Wednesday is Tanis Esther, and Wednesday night starts Purim. Amazing, amazing how time flies. It is uh, 7.43 in the morning. We're going to go back to music, and uh, then I think because of our schedule, yeah, it'll be right after the uh, right after the news from Israel. We're going to play a clip from Leonard Nimoy, who passed away last week at the age of 83, where he speaks about uh, how he uh, how he determined to use that famous symbol of his from Star Trek that we all know is a symbol of the Kohanim that is used during Jokening. So he'll talk about that, and uh, we'll play that for you after the news from Israel. All right, back to the music. Ari, Ari Bauman, I believe, is up with a Purim dance. Here on JM Sunday. Thanks everyone for listening and joining us. You can uh, like us on Facebook, by the way. Go to our Facebook page, JM Sunday. Please like us there. And uh, you can also like the Israel Show while you're there. Uh, if you want to send me an email, it's matis, M A T T E S, at nachamsegel.com. And uh, although we'll talk more about this next Sunday, uh, a week from this Monday, a week from tomorrow, starts the annual fundraiser at JM in the AM. We'll be there every day with Nachum to uh, help raise funds, and uh, the only time we request funds from the community uh, on the air during the course of the year. It's very important that everybody contributes and helps out, those who listen on the stream, those who listen on the app, any way you listen to the shows, uh, we uh, we ask for your help. So we'll talk more about that next Sunday. And the marathon starts on um on Monday, the 9th of March. Okay, here's the music right here on JM Sunday. Thank you. 
Ari Bamman, Purim Fever here on JM Sunday. Matas Wine Guest with you, 8 o'clock in the morning. We're about to go to our news from Israel. After the uh, news from Israel, we're going to hear a clip from Leonard Nimoy speaking about his um, his idea to use a certain uh, Kohanic uh, Duchening symbol uh, that the Kohanim used to hold their hands during Duchening and uh, how he used that as a Vulcan symbol on Star Trek. We're going to hear that he passed away on uh, Friday at the age of 83. And uh, coming up at 8.30, we're going to be joined by Dr. Robert Kuhl of the Israel Antiquities Authority. He is the senior curator in the coin department. Curator in the coin department. We'll talk about that uh, trove of gold coins found a couple of weeks ago in uh, in Caesarea National Parks. We'll we'll discuss that with him. We'll play some more music, and um, we will uh, we'll be here till nine o'clock this morning here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. At uh, this time, it is our news. It is our time <laughs> for our news from Israel. Kind of Julian, Middle East news analyst and senior correspondent at JewishPress.com, joins us every Sunday morning to bring us up to date on the latest happenings in the state of Israel. Good morning, Kind of Julian. Good morning, Kind of Julian. Kind of Julian's not there, so we are going to. Uh, we are going to have to reconnect with her. We'll see if we can do that in a couple of seconds. You said there might be a problem with the uh, line. Let's see if it reconnects very quickly while we're talking to you about what's going on here. A great programming all day long on the stream on JM Sunday. The uh, Nachum Siegel Network is the place to be. The app is the best way of uh, listening. Uh, and uh, however you do it, just always keep it tuned to... Uh, the Nachum Siegel Network. Tomorrow, Nachum will be on 6 o'clock with uh, JM in the AM. And let's see if we can connect with uh, with Hannah Julian for our news from Israel. Let's see if we can um, get this up and going. I love doing this live on the air. Right? <laughs> but I don't want to go to another segment. And I said we're going to do the uh, Leonard Nimoy segment. So I wanted to um, get to the news before we do that. And... Uh, We'll see if we can. Hello? Hey, okay. I think we have this. Uh, as uh, as we mentioned, Chana Julian joins us on Sunday mornings with the news from Israel live and in English. Good morning, Chana Julian. Good morning, Marcus. <laughs> Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is on his way to the United States, where he'll appear at the annual APAC convention. Uh, on Tuesday, he's going to be speaking to a joint session of Congress. Netanyahu spoke with reporters before boarding the plane. He says he feels like an emissary of all of Israel, even those who do not agree with him. And he adds that he'll do everything that he can to assure the future of the Jewish state. Last night, the prime minister visited the Western Wall in very personal preparation for this important and difficult trip. Netanyahu said during his visit to the Western Wall that he respects President Obama. He believes in the strength of the relationship between Israel and the U.S. and in the strength of our two nations to overcome the differences of opinion that have arisen, those that have been and those that will yet be. Netanyahu added that as Prime Minister of Israel, it's his obligation to see to the security of Israel that's why he will. Uh, he strongly opposes the agreement being formed with Iran, which he said could endanger Israel. That's the reason he says that uh, we must be united 
and also explain the dangers stemming from the agreement that's now being negotiated with Iran. Uh, the agreement is dangerous to Israel and to the region and to the world, and that's why he must speak to Congress. U.S. President Barack Obama allegedly threatened to shoot down Israeli warplanes in order to defend Iran's nuclear development program. That word coming according to a report published Saturday by a Kuwaiti newspaper. The al-Sharida claimed that the White House threatened Israel over a plan to attack Iran after Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu convened a meeting of Israel's security cabinet to decide how to deal with being frozen out of updates on the talks between the U.S. and world powers with Iran over the Tehran nuclear activities. The U.S. Senate unanimously passed a resolution last week on Thursday welcoming Israel's prime minister. It passed by a voice vote unanimously, and uh, it allows Democrats to support the bill without their names being printed if it goes by a voice vote. It also sent a message to the White House that Democrats also welcome Israel's prime minister, regardless of the president's feelings on the matter. You can see a reprint of the resolution on jewishpress.com. As for politics at home, the Likud and the merged labor and Zionist Union parties are running neck and neck. Surprisingly, the joint Arab list came in third on this past weekend's poll. Bayit Yehudi came up fourth tied with Yesh uh, Atid, Kahlon's Kulanu party came in fifth, followed by the Sephardic Shas party, then United Torah Judaism, tied with Israel Beitenu, followed by Meretz, and then Yachad El Yishai's party. Finally, a bit of good news for the week, the Golan Heights winery has won a new round of medals at an international wine competition Double gold awarded for its 2012 Jordan Heights wine and the 2011 Jordan Merlot Kelas single vineyard. This year's competition at Terravino included 448 samples of wines and spirits. 55% of the samples were from Israel, the rest from 29 other countries. Six out of the 14 double gold medals were awarded to Israeli wines. The Golan Heights Winery won two double golds, three regular golds, and two silver medals. Chief winemaker Victor Schoenfeld won the Best Winemakers Team competition as well. Now, as to the weather, since we do need good weather for Purim, which is coming up fast, today has been seasonably warm, the start of March, 65 degrees in the sun, 50 degrees tonight, partly cloudy skies, bright and sunny and clear tomorrow and Tuesday. Some clouds on Wednesday, but clear and sunny for the rest of the week. Temperatures rising into the 70s by Thursday and by next Shabbat. Downright perfect weather, balmy mid-70s, perfect weather for a holiday weekend. Have a wonderful holiday, an easy fast before Purim, perfect Shavuot. Shavuot, that have a uh, Shavuot Tov and a Purim Sameach. I'm Hannah Julian for James Sunday. S- sounds like Hannah Julian's been uh, been uh, at the Suda already. You've been at the wine. I've been doing. I've been 
sampling the samples. That's we've been, a, we've been that, making that, them. That's a great Vinahapa who's stretching. <laughs> have a, have a, it's like a comedy segment we have here. Have, you should have the uh, happy Shavua, Shavua. <laughs> no, Shavua, good week. Well, thank you, Kana Julian. We wish you and your family the same. A Freilich and Purim. And uh, it should be a great week. We'll see you next week here on JM Sunday. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great week. It is uh, 8.08 in the morning, and uh, we're going to hear a clip from uh, Leonard Nimoy. Uh, he recorded this uh, a couple of years back. He passed away on um, on Friday at the age of 83. Leonard Nimoy was born on March 26, 1931, just short of his birthday. And um, his uh, his parents, Dora and uh, and Max, were uh, Orthodox Jews who immigrated from uh, the Soviet Union, and uh, they settled in the West End of Boston. And he grew up uh, to be the person that uh, most people who know who he is know him as Mr. Spock on Star Trek. Uh, he did a lot of other things, uh, was in a lot of other uh, movies and shows, but, you know, he's known for that. Uh, but he did feel a very uh, close association to Yiddish, and uh, he did a couple of interviews, uh, long, uh, long interviews about his life. Uh, part of that uh, included how he uh, how he started to use that symbol that we all know as what the Kohanim used when they duchen, and he used it as a... Uh, as a greeting, uh, a Vulcan greeting, and uh, we're going to hear a clip. It's about uh, it's a few minutes long uh, about his uh, how he came about to use that. So uh, here is uh, here is Leonard Nimoy talking about uh, his Star Trek character right here on JM Sunday. So I'm with my father and my grandfather and my brother sitting in the the bench seats. Women were upstairs. Five or six guys get up on the bima on the stage, and they're facing the congregation. They get their talit over their heads, and they start this chanting. I think it's called dukhaning. And uh, my father said to me, don't look. So everybody's got their, their eyes covered with their hands, and they've got their talit down over their faces, or turned away, turned their back to these guys. And I hear this strange sound coming from them. They're not singers. They were shouters and dissonant. It was all discordant. And they were doing like, that kind of wailing. And all discordant, not together, not in unison. And then the leader would shout out, And the rest of them would respond, It was chilling. Whoa, something, something major is happening here. So I peeked. And I saw them with their hands stuck out from beneath their telly like this towards the congregation. Wow. Something really got hold of me. I thought, this is a... I had no idea what was going on, but the sound of it and the look of it was magical. This is the shape of the letter Shin, Hebrew alphabet Shin, 
very interesting letter in the in the uh, language. It's the first letter in the word Shaddai, the first letter in the word Shalom, first letter in the word Shekhinah, which is the name of the feminine aspect of God, who supposedly was created to live amongst humans, the Shekhinah. Why you're not supposed to look came to me much, much later, much later. My wife Susan has a cousin who's a rabbi here in Los Angeles at Temple Israel. And I was telling him this story, and he said the reason you don't look is that the legend is that during that benediction, uh, the Shekhinah comes into the sanctuary to bless the congregation. And you don't want to see that because it's so powerful. It could, it could really get, be seriously injured or it could be fatal. So that's why you protect yourself by hiding your eyes. Don't look. I survived. <laughs> I never dreamed that I would do that someday or be involved in some way. But sure enough, one day we're making the Star Trek series, television series. We come to a, a very lovely script called Amok Time, where my character, Spock, who comes from the Vulcan planet, has to go home to fulfill a marriage betrothal, to be married. And the lady who's going to uh, conduct the service is a, a lady named Tepau, played by a wonderful Viennese, Jewish Viennese actress named Celia Lofsky. I'm supposed to meet her when we arrive at the planet. We exchange hellos. It was the first time we're seeing other Balkans, other people of my race. So I was hoping to find some touches that could develop the story of the Balkan sociology, history, whatever, ritual. So I said to the director, I think we should have some special greeting that Balkans do. Because we, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, humans, we, we have these rituals, that we, the things that we do. Um, we shake hands, we, we nod to each other, we bow to each other, we salute each other. What do Balkans do? So I suggested this. He said, okay. And that's how we, we did it as a greeting, a Balkan greeting. Uh, boy, that just took off through the culture. It was amazing. Within days after it was on the air, I was getting it on the street. People doing this to me, waving to me in this Vulcan gesture. That, that's interesting. And it's been that way to this day. It's almost 50 years later, people are still doing it. It just touched the magic chord. Most people to this day still don't know what it's all about. A lot of people do because I've talked about it a lot. I've been asked the question, where did that come from? And I have very readily put out this story. It's, it's, it's sort of a, like, like a secret handshake or something you know, that people enjoy to exchange with each other, as if to say, "I'm, I'm in on it. I, I know, this, I know the joke." You know, Star Trek, right? You know, hey, Star Trek. You know, it's, great. it's great. People don't realize they're blessing each other with this. <laughs> it's great. There is. From the Wexler Oral History Project, uh, the Yiddish Book Center, it was an interview that was done with Leonard Nimoy. You could search for that interview. Uh, it, it's about a two-hour long interview. And he talks about his life, his early life. He talks about growing up. He talks about a lot of his, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of things about uh, Judaism interspersed in there. And um, it's just amazing what he, what he spoke about. Of course, people who have heard him, have seen him uh, as a, uh, you know, Mr. Spock on Star Trek, you know, look at him as that person or you know, some of the other works that he's done. But 
to hear him in the uh, to hear this entire interview, not just this part, uh, really gives you a, a totally different idea about what he was all about and uh, you know his connection to Judaism, the, the strength of it, what it was like growing up and uh, through the years. So I encourage people to do that if you, if you can. You know, just search for that interview uh, and you'll be able to find it. So Leonard Nimoy passed away at the age of 83, just short of his uh, 84th birthday on March 26th, 22nd, uh, no, um, not 22nd of Adar. I don't, uh, I had I had the date before. I don't have it handy. Uh, actually, I think it was, um, oh, let me check just so we'll have it, <laughs> so we'll know it. But I believe that it was... Um, Maybe it might have been the beginning of Nissan. Well, let, let's let's take a quick look on that. Uh, so he passed away on um, on Friday, and uh, in fact, it was the eighth of Nissan. He was born in fifty six ninety one, twenty sixth of March nineteen thirty one, and uh, and that's it. That's the interesting story there. We're going to go back to some music. It's 8.17 in the morning. Coming up at 8.30, we'll be joined by Dr. Robert Kuhl of the Israel Antiquities Authority, and we'll talk about the uh, the major find of gold coins uh, that was recently discovered in Syria. We'll talk about that and some other things in the uh, Israel Antiquities Authority coming up right here on JM Sunday. We'll go back to, should we do a, do you think we should do a comedy segment first? Which, oh, let's do this one. Here's a comedy segment uh, on JM Sunday, the shoe repair shop. The shoe repair shop. What is it? <laughs> what could I do for you? This is going to sound just utterly ridiculous to you, but I'm moving, you see. And in an old coat in a trunk, I found this shoe repair ticket that must be seven or eight years old. It's for some shoes I brought in before I went into the Navy, and then I moved away from Brooklyn, and now I found this old ticket. And I know it sounds ridiculous that you would have the shoes after seven years, but I took a chance. Oh, I get it. You're that fella from Candid Camera. (laughs) No, 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 sir. Honestly, look, look, here's the ticket. Let me see it. Are you out of your mind? We haven't even used the numbers in years. Next. No, please, sir. No, no, it was a long trip here from Baltimore. I know it's ridiculous, but please, take a look in the back. All right, all right. I'll look. I'll be right back. This is very embarrassing. But after all, they don't make shoes like they used to. How can I be foolish enough to think that after seven years that they would say... Hey, mister from Baltimore, Maryland. Yes? You're not going to believe it. You mean you found my shoes? Was it with half soles, leather heels, and metal tips? Yes, yes, that's right. It'll be ready Tuesday.
Avrami Flam, right here on JM Sunday. Mata Swineguest with you. It is 8.33 in the morning here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in, listening, and joining us this morning on this uh, show prior to the wonderful holiday of uh, Purim. We are here till 9 o'clock, and great programming continues all day long right here on the uh, Nachum Siegel Network. It is uh, very exciting that I am joined by my next guest. Uh, his name is Dr. Robert Kuhl. He is uh, from the Israel Antiquities Authority and uh, one of the senior curators in the coin department. Dr. Kuhl, welcome to JM Sunday. Thank you very much. Well, it, thank you. It has been a very exciting time, certainly, in uh, in your office there. Uh, the uh, the discovery has made news around the world of a very large uh, trove of gold coins, almost 2,000 coins that are about 1,000 years old. And uh, we'll talk about the specific coins and, and whatnot but, uh, in a minute. But what happened a few weeks ago when, uh, when you received the first phone call and someone said, uh, Hey, uh, doctor, uh, we think we found something you might be interested in. How, how did that go? What happened? Um, well, it was a, a moment of disbelief. It was a moment of disbelief, of course, and um, because you're not always, you know, when you hear a thing like that, you sort of think by yourself, "Why well, is it real? Is it for real?" I mean, um, we don't often uh, uh, meet things like that. So uh, that was my first reaction. Afterwards, of course, you you become more and more enthusiastic when you hear the details. Now, what actually happened, um, I mean, we do know that it was a, a group of divers from a divers club that was in the area. Why don't you take us through um, what we've heard, how it actually happened, how they found it, and how it got to, uh, you know, within a very short time to the Antiquities Authority. Okay, well, we have to go back to the beginning of uh, mid-February. Um, a couple of divers were diving on um, their free day on Saturday, and... Um, uh, suddenly they saw in the sand um, something glistening, and um, they thought it was a, a gaming a gaming a token. They picked it up, and they saw it was a real gold coin. Huh. And uh, they uh, then they found another couple of gold coins, and they, uh, they decided to call up the uh, head of the, 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 the diving club, who immediately called up the Israel Antiquities Authority and... Uh, my colleague Kobe Shalvit, who's the um, maritime archaeologist, immediately um, stopped doing everything he did, and he called up his entire team, and they went into the water because they understood that if they wouldn't go into the water now, it would be lost. Right. It was still in an area where, I guess, the, could the tide have washed things away, or could other people have gone there and taken some, which is not legal in Israel? Are those some of the things you wanted yeah, to prevent? Yeah, well, I, I can't give I can't really give details where we found it. That's it's, okay. It's, it's somewhere it's somewhere outside Caesarea, and um, of course, um, you know, we live in we live in the Middle East, and um, uh, people are always interested in uh, scavenging and, right. uh, and taking things illegally. Uh, uh, I just want to say that Israel has very stringent uh, antiquity laws. Everything that's found in the water or in the ground is in theory or in practice uh, uh, property of the state of Israel. Right. And, and forge and we ex- <coughs> No, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. And we expect people to to abide by these rules. And, and in this instance 
the cooperation was fantastic. Right, that's what I was going to say. Fortunately, these people who were experienced divers but knew already what they had found and the right thing to do allowed a, uh, a, a find of immense historical importance to be brought to the right place. Now, most people, I think, know that gold does not uh, tarnish, so to speak. Uh, if people remember their chemistry, gold, I think it is, has a, is a, is a pure uh, element, so it has no free ions to bond with oxygen, and that's what causes the tarnishing or rusting. So gold can remain pure and clean for thousands of years, and I guess that's why at first somebody might see one and figure, oh, it's just, you know, uh, somebody dumped a bunch of, like you said, the game tokens that were made yesterday, you know, and dumped them in the water or something. Uh, yeah. y- you now find this uh, treasure trove, uh, but even so in the water and in this, uh, for this long a period of time, um, what condition were they in compared to other finds that you've made? Well, they were in excellent condition. Actually, the coins barely need cleaning, barely. Wow. I mean, there were just for a, maybe a couple of coins that were had a bit of sediment inside the inscriptions, but for most of the coins, they look as if they were minted. Some of them are as if they were minted yesterday. I mean, it's incredible wow. to see it, and I think that's what makes that's what impresses people so so much when they see the coins. And um, of course, I mean, even even you know, experienced journalists. I mean, I've seen the reactions now. People are just amazed. Right. By how beautiful everything looks. And it's really, it's like, it's like, it's like in the, it's like in the books. It's a real treasure. Wow. Dr. Robert Cools, our guest from the Israel Antiquities Authority. The time period during which these coins were, um, probably made and transported, um, date back, I, I would guess, to about a thousand years ago at the end of the, of the Islamic rule, before the Crusaders. Is that right? Exactly. The, uh, the coins date, I mean, from what we've seen now, we've got something now in um, something like 2,600 coins oh, by now. Wow. So we've, we've got a couple of kilos. And um, basically we went through, we went, we, we've been going through a, a thousand coins. And what we've seen, we've seen a certain range of dating. It, it starts somewhere in the 9th century and it ends in somewhere around the uh, 1036, um, you know, the first decade of the 11th century. Um, this, uh, the coins belong to a dynasty which ruled Egypt, a Muslim dynasty which ruled Egypt during the Middle Ages. And it's a very, and actually the coins date back, for, uh, the period of the coins date back to a, an, another famous artifact, I would call, documents, uh, the, the Geniza documents which were found in Cairo. Really? Um, yes, yes. I mean, many of the, I mean, many of these coins are mentioned in the Gniza, in the Gniza documents, in the, which were found in the Jewish synagogue in Fustat. Right. So, so there is a, um, it's sort of like the material expression of what you can find in writing in these documents. So in, because the, yeah. the, the Jewish, the Jewish merchants at that time during the 11th century and the 12th century, these were the coins they were, you know, I mean, these are, the, these documents which were found, which were preserved in the Gniza, for almost a thousand years, they talk about marriage contracts. They talk about um, merchants who make um, who make uh, professional contracts, and of course, um, uh, um, coins and and money is mentioned all the time. Right, and it's and it's these coins, these and, gold coins. Exactly. Right, because especially in those in those days when the uh, coins were certainly not made or handled the way they are now, the coins had the intrinsic value. 
and in order to date them, which is very important, and I'm sure to authenticate them, they just, they talked about the specific um, type of coin, like you said, the denomination and uh, what rule it might have been minted under. Uh, that's fascinating. I did not read about that, and that's going to be, I'm sure, that will be studied and written about for years to come to, to match that up. So these are some of the uh, coins that are actually mentioned in, you know, the type of coins that are mentioned in there. What is your best guess at this point um, as to why they were there in one in one section? Is it? I, I've heard different things from. It may have been uh, payroll for uh, the army there. It may have been private wealth. It may have been a tax being um, uh, uh, being uh, uh, delivered somewhere. What's your best guess at this point? Well, we we really don't know, and I would like I didn't I wouldn't like to speculate on anything okay. right now. Um, We've got a couple of scenarios, as you said, um, maybe um, maybe tax money, which was going the way from here to Egypt back. Okay. Um, pay for a, a milita- for the military garrison, which was um, which was situated in in, in Caesarea, and which was actually very important during this period because the governor the governor of Caesarea, and this we know from documents, was an important. An important person within the Fatimid um, bureaucracy within the Fatimid government. He had the uh, he had the uh, daunting um, uh, task to to protect and and recover the Fatimid uh, influence within at that time Eretz Israel. Right, that was the caliphate um, uh, area that covered the whole yes, area. Yes, yes, yes. So, so you know, that's um, you know, payroll pay for militaries. You know, for the, that's that's quite a that's quite a good reason. Right. But um, um, we don't know yet. I mean, I mean, time will tell. We, you know, our excavations are ongoing right now. We're mm-hmm. we're starting up excavations. We we may have found already a couple of pieces of a ship. We don't know. Interesting. Uh, we're just at the beginning, so it's you know it's difficult to speculate. At this so without without giving away you know the exact area or what exactly you're looking at or have found, like you said. Uh, what would you want to see that would uh, definitively determine uh, what it was? If, for instance, if you found a ship there and could I kind of identify it with proximity, uh, then would that, that would kind of give you the idea that it was a, a payment transported from one place to another, as opposed to let's say, you know, somebody's bag of gold that they uh, that they dropped somewhere. Yeah, well, you know, we, we you know we deal with archaeology. I mean, I mean, the gold doesn't really. In- I mean, the gold. Doesn't really interest me. What interests right. me is the history of course, behind it. Of course, and um, we're looking for an archaeological context. Of course, I yes. mean, a ship would be fantastic. I mean, a ship with uh, with artifacts that we can date with, um, you know, with um, a carbon fourteen, which we could date. Um, uh, a ship with a hold with a holding with, you know, could be anything. Right. With wares, um, anything. I mean, that would just make it so much more fascinating. Yeah, it, and I would really like that. Would put everything in a in a much more interesting perspective. Right, for sure. Now, how would these uh, coins, if they were transported, let's say on a ship or somewhere, in what would they have been transported? Because they are pretty heavy. Would it have been in bags, or would it have been in some type of boxes, or uh, what? What do you know from history? That well, we we know we know from the Gniza 
from the Gniza in, in, in Fustat, we know that coins were transported overseas in bags. Oh, okay. In bags that were sealed. Uh, these bags contained 50, 100, 200, sometimes even 300 dinar. Sometimes the bags would be sealed uh, with just with dinars, mm -hmm. sometimes with quarter dinars. And I want to I want to mention that in this hoard we have quarter dinars, at least a third of the coins are quarter dinars, and the other two-thirds are full dinars. So I imagine that such a large amount of coins was transported in bags. Maybe the bags, the bags were put in a, in a, in a casket or in, a, in something more, you know, right. something of wood. We have no idea. Right. I mean, they would have disintegrated anyway, though, over the time. Yes, and, that's uh, fair. I mean, I mean we, I, as far as I know, we haven't seen any... any Remains of, right. um, of a textile. And, and, my, and my curiosity, and just these questions I, I'm asking because you're so knowledgeable, obviously, in this, is this a large enough hoard of coins that if it had been as payment for tax coming from another country or another area in the Middle East, that there would be records of this particular shipment of coins, you know, written down somewhere saying uh, we're sending the uh, caliphate uh, X amount of dinars. Uh, and it could be traced. Is that is that even out there? Do you find other uh, documents like that that could be this specific? Oh, that's a that's a difficult question. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are literally hundreds, thousands of pieces of Gniza documents. Well, I that's mean, in the Gniza. I mean, I'm talking about like in the countries, in the uh, documents of um, of of the, uh -huh. the countries that uh, you know kept that well, we have even, records then from. it's even larger. And it's even larger. Uh -huh, than uh -huh. I mean, that's that's very difficult. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's fair. I mean, the amount, the amount seems large, but these amounts were transported. Okay. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's a fairly large amount, no right. doubt about it. I mean, we're not talking about a couple of hundreds. Right. Yes, yeah? Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're talking about we're talking about at least two thousand six hundred dinars. Wow. When will um, when will some of these coins be available for the public to see? Um, well, uh, we already got requests. In, we already got requests <laughs> sure. from. Uh, so we're we're working on that, and uh, of course the public will know when when. But we first have to, we first have to research the hoard and register the hoard. We haven't right. even counted the the, the coins yet, <laughs> so um, that will be our first. Request. Now, you, and of course, yes. the the hoard will be will be will be displayed to the public because right. that's what we owe the public. Of course, of course. Now, you, I assume that you have actually seen. Touched, held these coins already. Is that, is that, am I correct? <laughs> yes. Wow. That, that, yes. When, when you first, I know what you said when you got that phone call, the disbelief. What, what did you feel? I mean, maybe you're used to it. I don't know. But what did you feel when you actually held another discovery that's a thousand years old that, that adds a piece of the puzzle? What was that feeling when you held those coins? Well, I'm a bit more used to gold because I work with it already right. for many, many years. Right. But, the, uh, the sheer amount of coins is just impressive, hmm. and it's you know it's it's just impressive. There's something inexplainable about such large amounts of gold and the impression it makes on people. Not just me, right. but everybody who's seen it and who's been you know who's been in touch with it. I mean, people are very excited by it. Amazing. Try, yeah. try to explain it. It's, impo it's impossible. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is just one find in a small area, and we know from uh, archaeology in Israel that the, any, anywhere you go there's something. This 
you know, this is probably not the only find. Eventually, maybe other things like this will be found. But um, also, you know, to... we, we 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 find we find. I mean, the coins are just a small, a small, a small part of what we find here in Israel. I right. Mean, you know, we we from large ar- architecture to prehistoric uh, remains to uh, Roman Byzantine churches or synagogues, mm-hmm. and, and it, there's so much in this country. It's just incredible. Right. It's just, it's hard to comprehend how much we have here. And by the way, this is not uh, th- this find is not what we would call a biblical archaeology from the land of Israel. This is uh, no. certainly Israeli uh, life, <coughs> you know, Jewish life at the time, and was part of this. Uh, but this is uh, not the in in that time period of biblical archaeology. But no, it's def- medieval archaeology. It's medieval, uh, but yet the infrastructure that the Israeli Antiquities Authority has for all of the um, very precious finds, I'm sure, uh, allows you to to look at any find in a different light than maybe a, I don't know, a country that has a more modern history and and if they find things that's a couple of hundred years old, you're you're geared to finding things that are thousands of years old and being able to uh, handle them, catalog them, ensure their safety and and like you said, present them to the public because that's what the public would like to see. Yes, yes, we literally have two. At le- we literally have two and a half thousand years of history in oh, that alone already in our in our in our um, um, coin foils, <laughs> coin coin foils. Wow! So you know, from the Persian period sure. up to the Ottoman period, we have coins, hundreds of thousands of coins. Beautiful. And um, they all come from excavations. Uh, doc- and uh, this is all part of our this is all part of our history and of our identity Absolutely. Of the state of Israel. Uh, Dr. Robert Kuhl, Senior Curator at Coin Department of Israel Antiquities Authority. Let me finish off by asking you a couple of questions uh, a little more personal in terms of what you're working at. Would you say this is one of your most exciting discoveries ever? Or uh, or, or I know that uh, you've written uh, numerous articles. I, I took time to research it back to uh, some uh, temple period uh, finds and uh, things like that. What would you say is your most exciting find if you could pick one or two things maybe not only coins but the most exciting find that you've come across in your career well this is definitely one of the high highlights of wow. my career i must say i mean nice. I mean, this is really i mean it's 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 at this moment the largest gold hoard we've ever found right. so and it's it's important right. and it and it speaks to the imagination of everybody the archaeologists as well as the general public so it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful find to work on. Uh huh. Okay, beautiful. Um, but at the other range, at the other rain, uh, end of the rainbow, I I once worked on four on four lead tokens, which in numer- in, in in money terms are not wor- are not worth anything. Right. But they 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 are amongst the most exciting uh, 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 discoveries I've ever made because I got two coins on my desk. And there was a there was an inscription, but I could hardly read it. And I sort of pieced the pieced, pieced the um, started reading the the inscriptions. Then I got another two in the next two years. <laughs> oh, wow. Over a, f- a period of, f- of four years, I got four pieces. And finally, at the fourth at the end of the fourth year, I could read the inscription. Oh the inscription wow! Basically, gave away the um, place where these tokens were minted. Oh man! And this discovery was. Um, um, helped the archaeologist to to identify the castle he was excavating as the castle he was looking for. 
And that was really that, one of the most exciting times of my absolutely, life. Absolutely, I can imagine. Wow. And one more question. Um, given the knowledge that you have of uh, Israeli history, Jewish history, and, uh, and the, the state, uh, you know, meaning the whole, the whole uh, area for, for the last few thousand years, uh, if you could uh, think of a discovery, <clears throat> something that you would like to discover that would kind of put, um, I don't know, maybe fill in a puzzle. Like you said with those four coins, you know, at the, when you got the third one, you probably would answer, oh, I'd like to find a fourth one that would clear it up. Is there anything that you would love to find now that you hope is out there uh, that would really, you know, put put a, a perspective on something or answer a question or fill in a, a blank that is would be amazing for you? Well, um... I'm putting you on the spot, I know, but... Yeah, yeah, difficult to say. I mean, in, in maybe I should just, you know, limit myself to my field, of course. I okay. Mean, you know, if we could find, you know, in in, in terms of in, in terms of coins and excavations in archaeology, if we could find, you know, something that had maybe to do with the the, the Jewish revolt against the Romans, um, and a minting a, 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 a minting a minting uh, uh, place where people used to mint coins, that would be, you know, something to find something like that. Uh-huh. Something more than just coins, just you know, also the artifacts that were they were used to make coins. We've never found huh. something like that. Interesting. I mean, um, that Interesting. would that would be that would be very nice for me. But uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to be <laughs> not to not to think too large. I mean, uh, right. this I leave to the field archaeologists. Right, right, absolutely. Well, Dr. Robert Cole uh, from the Israel Antiquities Authority, I want to thank you so much for joining us here. This morning on JM Sunday, the the find literally, as you know, has raced around the world. Every news media, every outlet there has has uh, talked about it, and because, as you said, the uh, number of coins, the, uh, the 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 how they were found, the the perfection of them uh, is just so very exciting. And, and of course, it's something from antiquity. It's a you know, it's a thousand years old, and uh, and they found this. So I want to thank you so much for sharing your insights and uh, your thoughts about this and your expertise. Thank you very much. Thank you, and I wish you a happy Purim. You too. Happy Purim. Chag Sameach. Thank you. Chag Sameach. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It is uh, 8.55 here in the morning. We're going to end up with, uh, let's see, we'll do an Alhanusim before we uh, finish up today's show. Uh, this is uh, the classic from Amude Sheish right here on JM Sunday.
Alanisim from the Amude Sheish uh, Orchestra, going back a number of years, a classic. And uh, we bring it to you right here on the Sunday before Purim. My thanks uh, to everyone for listening and joining us this morning. Uh, my thanks to Dr. Robert Kuhl, a senior curator in the Coin Department of the Israel Antiquities Authority. If you missed any part of that interview, you can listen to it on the archives. Uh, he shared with us a lot of information about that treasure trove of gold coins found recently. In Israel, it dates back a thousand years or so. My thanks to Khanna Julian for the news from Israel and Rabbi Goldwasser for Morning Chizuk. My thanks to all you listeners for listening out there. Appreciate it. Programming continues all day long right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Wish everyone a Chag Sameach, a happy Purim coming up, an easy fast on Tanis Esther, and we'll see you back here next Sunday on JM Sunday right here on the Nachum Siegel Network.